All right, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. This is God's Word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's look to him once more and ask him for his help. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you speak to us from your word. But we acknowledge because of sin, we, we cannot read it, we cannot understand it without your help. So Lord, open our, open our hearts now to understand what you have to say to us today. Speak to us now from this passage, Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So perhaps you've heard this phrase before. It's a phrase I've heard my whole life. You've heard someone refer to another person as, you know, this person, is they're so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. Um, I've heard that a lot in my life. I, you know, I'm, never, I'm not really uh, quite sure what, what that means, actually, because when I think about it, I don't know that I've ever actually met a person that really uh, would fit that description. Um, I don't think I've ever met a person who, who thought about heaven too much. Um, I'm not even sure what that would look like, you know. I guess they, they just sit in their room all day and just think about heaven and don't interact with anyone. I guess, I guess that would be an example of it. But um, for most of us, I don't think uh, that's our problem. I, th- I think actually the Bible tells us that being heavenly minded, having our minds pointed towards heaven, can actually help us in our earthly lives. Help us deal with the problems and the pain of, that this life often brings. And, and here's our problem, though, or at least this is my problem. I think most of us, we don't think too much about heaven. Um, you know, I know when I was growing up in church, I grew up in church, you know, my whole life, I used to think about heaven as like sort of this extra long uh, choir rehearsal or something. And, and it just seemed, you know, so boring. Um, no offense to Dr. John. Um, his, are, his are not boring. But I would just think of like choir rehearsal, you know, for eternity. That's kind of how I pictured heaven. Um, and, and, you know, because, at least for me, because I think I had such a low view of heaven, um, I was busy trying to create heaven here on earth. And I think that's true for a lot of us. We don't, we don't say this, of course. You know, we, never, we never say, well, I'm trying to make this life into heaven right now. Um, I'm trying to experience heaven you know, right, right here. Uh, we don't say that. But we, it kind of shows up in the way that we live sometimes. For some of us, it turns us into perfectionists, right? We want, we want to have a perfect life. You know, we want a perfect spouse. We want perfect kids. You know, we want a perfect job, a perfect bank account. We want, uh, we want our drive to work to be perfect. There should be no slow cars in front of me on my drive to work. There should be, everyone should use their turn signal correctly on my, when I'm driving to work. You know, people should part the way so that I can get where I'm going 
um, when I want to go there. I mean, that, that's kind of how we can sometimes sort of view life as if everything, as if everything should cater to us. If you're in my way, you know, everything is, is an inconvenience to me if it is in my way. Um, and so we're, we're, what we're trying to do there is, is we're trying to experience heaven here on earth. We want to make this life perfect. We want to make this life heavenly. But, of course, uh, that doesn't work well because this is not heaven, right? Because this is, uh, this is earth, um, and something will inevitably go wrong. This is a fallen world. Things will not always go the way that we want them to go, and maybe they rarely do. You know, someone will cut us off in traffic, or our boss will yell at us, or our spouse will misunderstand us, or our kids will misbehave and act up. Um, you know, our dog will tear up the couch. Uh, our water heater will break. Our bodies age and they fall apart. I mean, this is, there's plenty of evidence around us that this is not heaven. And it's, it's daily, uh, a daily argument sort of from our lives around us. You know, people that we love get sick. Um, we get upset when these things happen, right? And these are upsetting things, many of them. But, but deep down, sometimes we get more upset than we probably should because there's this little thing deep down in us that we sort of feel like we don't deserve this we feel like we've expected life to be a fairy tale and when it's not it disturbs us it bothers us it makes us angry well what we've done when we do that is we have confused earth and heaven we have confused suffering with glory this fallen our lives in this fallen world with what our lives will be like in heaven so this morning, Romans 8, I think, is a, is a great passage to untangle our ideas. So first, we're going to look, uh, our first point today is suffering, that suffering precedes glory. Suffering comes before glory. We see that in verse 18. Um, Paul has just given the, the, the Romans a truth um, that doesn't go down very easy, right? Um, he's telling them that the Christian life will involve suffering. Let's look at verse 17, just step uh, back one verse. He's Paul saying that, you know, we, we are adopted, we are children of God. And then he says this in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. So verses, our passage today, verses 18 through 25, are going to be pointing, uh, kind of pointing back to verse 17 here. Um, that we are, the, the Christian life is one where we, we will suffer with Christ here and then we will uh, go to glory with Christ. You know, we know that we want to. We know that we're in union with Christ, right? We know that we we definitely want to be united to Him in His glory, right? We want to be with Him in heaven. Um, but the Bible says that we are going to be. We are going to be that. We're going to be united to Him in heaven. We're also going to be united to Him in His suffering. Now, this seems like such an obvious point, right? We we're going to suffer, and let's, let's, so let's look at verse eighteen. Paul writes, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed." With us, So we will suffer in this life, and then we will not suffer. We will experience glory in heaven. Um, you know, and this is something that we can sometimes struggle to believe. We, we kind of want you know, glory then and glory now, right? Um, we, don't want to, we want to sort of leave out the suffering part. But you know, suffering and salvation are linked often throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament. Um, listen to this uh, verse, Philippians 1.29. Listen to this verse. Um, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So it's been granted to us to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Christ. These things come together. If, if you become a Christian, you know, there will be suffering, right? Suffering is, is not far behind. That doesn't mean it will always be 
equally intense. It doesn't mean your suffering will be constant, um, but there will be suffering um, in the Christian life. You know, and sometimes um, we 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 can we don't want to we, we don't want to kind of acknowledge that. I think. Um, now, what does the Bible mean by suffering? Well, it means a lot of different things. When we when we often think about suffering, we sometimes the first thing that comes to our mind is thinking about persecution, right? And that definitely would have been something close to the Roman. Uh, Christians who were receiving this letter 2,000 years ago, that definitely would have been close to their mind. Um, you know, they were, Rome was a hostile place for Christians in this day. You know, they were being thrown to, uh, thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. You know, this was entertainment to watch Christians um, destroyed by lions. And this isn't, sadly, this is not just a thing of the past. I mean, we don't see it like this in our country, but right now around the world, you know, there are Christians meeting in secret. And hiding, and for fear that if they're caught, they could be imprisoned or worse. Christians are brothers and sisters in China, brothers and sisters in Iran. Uh, there are Christians who are living under the same sort of threat uh, that these Roman Christians were living under. But this maybe doesn't touch our lives quite as much today. I mean, we are blessed to live in a country where we have the freedom to worship, we have the freedom to gather, we have the freedom to practice our religion, uh, the freedom to read the Bible. Um, so, you know, maybe the worst that happens to us in America is, is if you're a Christian today, people think that you're unintellectual. They think that you're old-fashioned or backwards thinking. You know, we might be teased uh, by neighbors and, and coworkers and friends occasionally um, and, that, and that sort of thing. And it, it, it rarely goes above that for most of us, though, especially here in the Bible Belt. But that's one part of suffering, okay? But there's another aspect of suffering, too, which is being a Christian and living in a fallen world. Uh, the, the pain and the difficulty of living in a fallen world as a believer. You know, this would involve, we suffer through illness, right? We suffer through, um, through the death of loved ones. We suffer through having fallen bodies and fallen minds that just can't do all the things we want them to do. Um, we suffer in marriage and parenting because, let's be honest, when you, when you take a group, of Christi- a group of sinners and you put them in a small and close space together, there's going to be strife, right? And so our, our marriages, our, our families, they, they reflect that, okay? That's part of suffering in this, in this fallen world. We suffer as we fight with Satan. Uh, we've been doing a spiritual warfare series on Sunday nights, and we, we talk about you know, the difficulties of spiritual warfare. We suffer as we fight with our own sinful desires, as we fight with our flesh. We suffer as we live in a world and try to be in it, but not of it, right? That's a part of our suffering. Um, another way we suffer that we don't talk about much is we suffer from spiritual boredom sometimes, don't we? You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you go to church, you hear a sermon, you, and you leave, and you, you just feel so recharged and so encouraged. And you're like, I, I could conquer the world for Jesus right now. I feel, you just feel God's presence in such a special way. Sometimes you're at your house, or you read your Bible, or you, and you pray, or you do family worship, and you just feel the Lord's presence, and you feel... That, he has, that you have met with him, that you feel like your prayers have been heard. And it's a wonderful feeling. But sadly, it's not a feeling that we have every time, right? Sometimes we go to church and we leave and we don't feel anything. Sometimes we open our Bibles in the morning and we pray and we feel as if our prayers haven't made it past the ceiling. Um, so spiritual boredom, you know, we have, we have, uh, we can experience the presence of God in this life, but not in a perfect way, not in a complete way. And we definitely know that as Christians, right? You definitely feel that. Um, so suffering can take many different forms um, in this life. Um, but we trouble ourselves when we start to sort of subtly believe that we deserve 
not to have those troubles, when we des- that we deserve not to have uh, those, um, that suffering here. Uh, when we see that suffering as like an inconvenience to us. Uh, you know, I recently saw an example of this in my life. I, I came home from work one day at lunch, and, you know, I don't know if it rains this much in Meridian every year, but I feel like it's rained like 50 inches since we bought our house um, in December. And so uh, I came home from lunch one day, and there was like, you know, I went in the bathroom, and there was a leak like in the bathroom ceiling, and I was just like, ugh. You know, I don't even want to deal with this right now, so I'm going to go to the other bathroom, okay? So I went to the other bathroom, and there was a leak in the other bathroom, too. <laughs> um, and, I, I, you know, I thought it couldn't get any worse, and then I got the bill for the guys who came and fixed it, and it got worse. Um, but, you know, I, can't, I cannot put into words how uh, frustrated and nauseous and anxious I felt that when I saw these two leaks in our bathroom. And if, part of it was, you know, I just, you know, we don't want to have leaks. That's not a good thing. Part of it was just, I, d- I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to call someone to fix it. I don't want to pay to get this fixed. But when I looked at my own heart, you know, I, I was really mad. Like, I was surprised at how mad I got at these leaks. And when I looked at my own heart, I realized that there was something underneath. There was something bubbling up underneath all of this. And it was, I, I expected my house to be perfect. I, I expected that I, I kind of almost demanded, insisted really, that there would be no leaks in my roof. That's kind of when it, so when it happened to me, it was almost like an offense against me. It was almost like an attack against me. What, why me? Why, does, why, does these, why do these bad things always happen to me? Those are the kind of questions that we sometimes ask, that we sometimes think. And it goes past just the house, right? You know, we're like, my, my spouse should act like this. My kids should act like this. Uh, we have all these uh, sort of expectations. Everything should co- sort of cater to us, cater to our timetable. What we're expecting is this life to be heaven. But, you know, thinking about heaven, as, as I think we're going to see this morning, thinking about heaven actually ought to kill those, perfection, those perfectionistic tendencies inside us. Because when we think about heaven, we see how perfect heaven is going to be. We'll know that there's no way this life is perfect. There's no way this life can be perfect. Suffering is a reality in our lives, and it precedes glory. But more than that, notice what Paul says in verse 18. He says, not only does suffering come first, but suffering, he says, is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Glory is infinitely better than any kind of heaven that you or I could dream up and try to create on this earth. The actual heaven that we will go to one day is infinitely better than any heaven that we could try to create. So it doesn't matter, Paul is saying, essentially, whether, you're, whether your suffering is being thrown to lions, or whether your suffering is ending up in the cancer ward, or whether your suffering is something small, like feeling like your prayers aren't being heard. One day, the joy, the delight, the satisfaction of heaven will make that suffering seem insignificant. You know, yeah, you know I think back... Um, when I was about five years old, I was, you know, getting ready to start kindergarten, and um, it was about that time I had to go get some shots. Um, and my mother, she was, she was a wise one. Uh, she did not tell me we were going to get shots. Um, she just drove me to get shots. And so when we showed up, you know, she's like, hey, let's go. Let's go on a little trip. And so we show up at this place, and um, then the shots come out. And, um, you know, as a five-year-old or whatever, you know, it, this, was, this was like the worst that thing that could happen to you. Um, and so I got the shot, and it was awful. Um, and then, I, then as soon as the shot was over, though, my mother reached into her purse and pulled out a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action figure. 
which in 1990 for a five-year-old boy was, that's like the best that uh, you can do, okay? And so I was delighted to have this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figure. Um, and, you know, it's not that, of course, I still felt the pain of the shot, um, and I still remembered receiving the shot and how my mother sort of tricked me into getting the shot. I still remembered all this stuff, but when I had this little Ninja Turtle that I'd been wanting for so long, suddenly the, the pain of the shot really didn't matter as much anymore. You know, suddenly I was so enthralled with this new little toy that I had that I just wasn't really thinking anymore about this shot that I received. And that's what Paul is saying here. You know, that suffering comes to us um, in this life, but it's temporary. But the glory that is to come is so good. It's so good to, it's going to be so good for us that it will make the suffering, this temporary suffering, seem insignificant. So because of this, our, our suffering should actually direct our minds toward heaven not away from heaven. So that's our second point. Suffering makes us long for heaven. So Paul has just told us that our life here, it, you know, it doesn't compare with how great heaven will be. So now in verse 19, verses 19 to 23, he's going to back up that claim, okay? He's going to give us an argument for why uh, glory is going to be so good, okay? And his argument has two points. One, glory is so good that creation longs for it. And two, glory is so good that believers long for it. So let's look at these two. Quickly. So first, creation, glory is so good that creation longs for it. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And look at also at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So first question is, what does Paul mean when he says creation or whole creation? Um, you know, there's a couple different, you know, does he mean everything that's been ever been created? Well, probably not. Uh, I, I don't think he has angels in mind here. You know, angels have not experienced, um, you know, the pain, the difficulty of the fall um, here on earth like we have. I don't think he has believers in mind either because he's going to address believers in verse 23. I also don't think he has unbelievers in mind because unbelievers aren't really longing for heaven or looking forward to heaven. So that really leaves, leaves us with sort of the non-human uh, elements of the universe, like stars and trees and plants and animals, okay? Um, now, obviously, uh, we know that animals and stars, you know, they don't, uh, they don't look at things and long for things or, or like, like, like we do. So what Paul is using here is obviously he's using personification, um, a word from, you know, way back when in, in language arts or whatever. Um, he's giving human qualities to these non-human things to make a point, okay? He's going to talk about creation like it has human qualities, um, although it's not. So what, basically what, what the, Paul is painting a picture here of creation. The Greek paints a picture that creation, imagine creation with sort of neck outstretched, looking forward, pushing all distractions aside, looking forward to this one single thing and focusing on that um, with eager anticipation. So what is this event that creation is looking forward to? Well, Paul tells us, he says it's the revealing of the sons of God. What does that mean? Well, he's referring to when, at the end of time, when Jesus has come back and has gathered the church, when, when everything is said and done, and all the, all the church, all believers are gathered in heaven, body and soul, we are glorified, we are sinless and stainless and perfected. This, this, when the sons and daughters of God are revealed to be what they are finally meant to be, Right? perfect and sinless. The, the triumphant church is another way we hear it described. He's looking forward to this, when we are revealed to be what we are destined to be as, as believers, as children of God. So it's this future sort of eschatological event. 
Now, why is the creation looking forward to this event of our redemption? Why is the creation looking forward to that? Well, the answer comes in verses 20 and 21. Let's look at that. Paul writes, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So when Adam sinned, back in the garden, Genesis 3, when Adam sinned, if you recall, part of the curse that happened then was God cursed creation. God subjected creation to futility. He cursed it. So ever since the fall, the creation has not been operating the way it was intended to operate. Things have not been the way that they were always supposed to be. Um, The Greek word for futility here, it kind of can refer to aimlessness, or it can refer to, you know, like... Uh, like the inability to reach a goal or to achieve results, okay? So it's like as if there's this goal, there's this, you know, results that the creation was intended to be able to reach, and they can't reach that. It cannot reach that um, anymore because of this. But the creation knows that this curse happened because of Adam's sin, because of human sin. And so when God is finally, when God is finished redeeming uh, his people, when he's finished sort of reversing all the effects of the fall. After all, that's what, if we look through the Gospels, Jesus is healing people, he's feeding people, he's raising people from the dead. Jesus is reversing the effects of the fall. That's what he has come to do, and he does that ultimately on the cross and in his resurrection. So when the, when the fall has finally been ultimately and completely reversed, creation knows that part of that is going to be the curse on creation will be lifted. Now look at verse 21 again. It says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay, or excuse me, from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So it will be set free from corruption, from decay, from death, um, just as God's people will be, just as we will be made new, we'll have new bodies, the creation itself will be made new. It will be glorious. Um, we, we saw this this morning in our unison reading from Isaiah 65, right? Um, we're, we're reading in Isaiah 65 about no more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days. This was, that was never the way it was supposed to be. Um, we see creation, you know, the, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. It will be, heaven will be like Eden. Heaven will be a place of harmony. Heaven will be a paradise. It will be heaven. That's what it is. Paul tells us in verse 22 that ever since the fall, and even up until now, the creation has been groaning in the pain of childbirth. But if you think about it, the pains of childbirth, which I've not experienced, of course, but I'm assuming the pains of childbirth are pains of hope, not pains of despair. Right? There's pain, but you know that at the end of this pain, there is something good and wonderful and beautiful. Um, It's not a pain of despair. It's a pain of hope. This pain is not for nothing. Jesus uses a, a very similar analogy to this in the Gospels. We read in John sixteen twenty through 22, Jesus talks about our sorrow turning to joy. He, he says this, You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So Paul argues that glory is so good, creation is longing for it. Glory is also so good because believers are longing for it. We see that in verse 23, when he, Paul writes, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So why do we long for heaven? Well, we long for heaven because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. What, what does that mean? Well, uh, we all know when, when a person becomes a Christian, they receive the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. Paul refers to this as the first fruits of our salvation. Now, what, what does first fruits mean? Well, obviously, first fruits, you would think, you know, think of like a harvest, a, a field or an orchard or something being harvested. The first fruits would be the first batch that's harvested, okay? But there's a, there's a meaning tied to this, and the meaning that, that Paul is, is pointing us to, the meaning Paul is using here is that the first fruits is a guarantee for the final delivery. So it's a guarantee for the rest. Um, and so when we receive the Holy Spirit as Christians, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. As Paul says in Ephesians 1, it's a guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee that we will receive the rest uh, of, our, of our salvation uh, in heaven, that we will finally be uh, redeemed fully. Um, and he writes in verse 23 that we groan inwardly, um, having received this first fruits. And so the idea here is that it's like we've received a taste of it. You know, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive a taste of what is to come, and it just makes us long for more. Um, for perhaps, you know, food analogies work well here. You know, I know my wife is a chocolate-holic, uh, chocoholic, um, and that a little taste of chocolate just makes her crave more chocolate. I'm sure many of you could probably agree with her on that. Yesterday, uh, out here, we had um, a little crawfish with, with some of the men of the church, and we had this huge cooler full of, like, 60 pounds of crawfish. Well, the very, you know, this is my first time... Uh, shucking crawfish i guess that's what you call it um and we went out there and uh, you know so my first plate i was a little bit nervous i had to have the hester boys kind of you know show me what to do so i got i just got a few the very first time and if you, if you ever had crawfish it's like you know it's like a sunflower seed that you do a lot of work and you just get you know something kind of small out of it so you do a lot of work and you, you know pull this thing apart and there's a little piece of meat in there so I, my first plate i just got like one or you know like three or four and um and so i had this crawfish and it was amazing you know, it was like really well spiced, really well seasoned. It was very good. And so, you know, all that did is made me want more crawfish. It didn't satisfy my desire for crawfish. It just gave me this craving. And so I went back and, you know, I thought I piled a lot of my plate, but Doug Hester was not convinced I had enough. He's like, that's not enough. Put some more on there. Um, so it, I, I love crawfish now. Um, it was very good. But, but that's what Paul is saying here, that, that a little, it's like when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's a little taste of, of God. It's a little taste of what heaven will be like. And all it does is just what's our appetite for more we just we got to have more um the second reason that we long for heaven is because that is where our salvation will be complete that is where our salvation will be finalized paul writes that we eagerly await our adoption as sons and isn't it true that we're you know once we become a christian aren't, aren't we adopted now isn't that what paul has already said in romans 8 that we're adopted as sons and daughters of god when we become christians Yes, that's true. But what he's referring to is sort of that, the final adoption, when that's finalized. Um, right now we're saved, right? We have the salvation you know, that we experience here is, is just but a, a piece of what the full um, product will be, the full salvation that we'll experience in heaven. And it will include the redemption of our bodies, Paul says, that no longer will our, we have broken bodies, but we'll have perfect bodies, bodies like Jesus' resurrection body. Uh, you know, there, one verse in, in 1 John actually sums all this up really well. Um, it's one of my favorite verses. First John 3, ch- chapter 3, verse 2, puts it this way. John writes that he's referring to the same thing at the very end of time when we are, when are finally redeemed, right? When all the church is gathered together. And he says, we will see Jesus as he is, and we will be like him. 
we will see Jesus as he is, and we will be like him. It's, I can't think of anything more comforting in my life as I am struggling with temptation and sin, as I am struggling with the negative things of living in a fallen world, to know that one day we will stand before Jesus, we will see him as he is in heaven, as he truly is. On the Mount of Transfiguration, that's how Jesus truly is. That's who he really is. We will see him as he is, and we will be like him. You know, it, this reminds me of, like, the, the, the finish line of a race. In college, Shalane and I, we ran a few half marathons. And, you know, you're running, you get to, like, mile 11. A half marathon's like, 13 miles. You get to mile 11, and you're just in agony and pain. You know, it's no fun anymore. You're hurting. You're, you're, you're just, like, longing for it to be over. Um, and, and, you know, you start thinking about the finish line, you know, and you're going to run across. We would run this one in Nashville, this half marathon in Nashville we ran sometimes. And you run across the finish line, and they, this announcer you know, calls out your name from the speaker and calls out your time, and they put a medal around your neck, and then you go to like, the, the food area, which is amazing. They have you know, water and Gatorade, like every drink you can imagine. They have granola bars and apples and bananas and oranges. I mean, it's just like this smorgasbord of like, everything that you were thinking about while you were running. You've just been longing to get there, you know, to, to enjoy all of this. And, and that's what this is like for, for believers. That's why we long... For heaven, because we are we are like in mile eleven of this race, and we are hurting, and we are suffering, and we are thinking about all the good stuff that's waiting at the end of that race, all the good stuff that's waiting for us um, at the end. So, our third and very brief point is that our longing for heaven helps us endure suffering. We see that in verses twenty-four and twenty-five. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul began this passage, verse 18, you know, trying to encourage the Romans and us about the suffering in this life. Okay, and he, he starts by saying, you know, heaven is going to be so good, it's going to outshine all the pain here on earth. But it's interesting, he's been doing something else all along. He's been providing us with a way to endure the suffering. By pointing us to heaven, he, this is the secret to enduring suffering with patience, by thinking about heaven. Suffering doesn't dampen our hope. It actually furthers our hope. Uh, Paul tells us that when we hope for heaven, when we hope for glory, this thing that we can't see helps us to endure, helps us to wait with patience. We see that in verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience, he says. Christian hope necessarily produces patience. Um, Let's just take a moment to talk about hope. We talk about hope in everyday life it's like wishful thinking, right? I hope it doesn't rain today. You know, it's like I wish it won't rain today. Um, Christian hope is something completely different. Christian hope is looking forward to, longing for something that is sure and certain. Longing for something that is true and definitely going to take place. So when we hope for heaven with biblical hope, it helps us, it gives us patience to endure the suffering of this life because we know that no matter what the sufferings in this life are, no matter how bad they can be, At the end of the day, we know that they won't compare with what awaits us in glory, with the pleasure, with the joy, with the satisfaction, the peace, the completeness that awaits us. You know, I mentioned, let me finish the story of my shots earlier. Uh, So I mentioned going to get my shots, getting an internal. Well, you know, short time later, I had to go back and have like the next round of shots. And so this time, yeah, I was was a little more, you know, onto my mom's plans. And so this time I, I knew that we were going to get a shot. And this time I asked her, is there a Ninja Turtle in your purse for me? And she said, yes, yes. If you, after the shot, I have another Ninja Turtle for you, and I'll give it to you. 
that shot went so much easier than the first shot. Because I knew that there was something good waiting at the end of it. I was more, much more patient. I was able to endure the shot. I know this is a silly and small example. But I was able to endure the shot because there was something good waiting for it at the end. And that's what Paul is talking about here. When we know what awaits us, when we know that the suffering is temporary, but what awaits us is wonderful and amazing and hard to imagine and eternal, it helps us to endure now. It gives us patience. So thinking about heaven actually doesn't, you know, being heavenly minded doesn't make a person no earthly good, okay? Um, Thinking about heaven, hoping for heaven, longing for heaven, longing for that day when our salvation will be complete, longing for that day when everything that's broken in this world will be fixed and made right, longing for the day when we'll see Jesus as he is and we'll be like him, actually makes us more able to handle the problems and the pain of this life. It gives us patience for the suffering we have here. But whenever we waver, whenever we get discouraged, remember this, Jesus suffered for you and for me, so our suffering is not meaningless. Jesus suffered for you and for me, so our suffering is not in vain. Jesus suffered for us so that we know our suffering has an expiration date. Jesus suffered for us, so heaven is a sure thing for us. Heaven is a definite future reality. For us. It is it is so sure, it is so certain that look at verse just very quickly, look at verse chapter eight, verse thirty of Romans. Look at how Paul refers to this. He says, And those whom he predestined, he also called, those whom he called, he also justified, those whom he justified, he also glorified. He our our glorification, this future event when our body and soul is together again and perfect and we're in heaven, the whole church is in heaven with Jesus. This event is so sure that Paul can talk about it in the past tense. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. He's referring to it like it already happened, even though it's a future event. It was a future event for Paul. It's still a future event for us today. So this week, let us not expect earth to be heaven. Let us not expect this life to give us joy that only heaven can provide. Our hearts are going to be tempted to do that. I know tomorrow morning, first, I mean, I'm preaching the sermon today. I know tomorrow morning my heart will be tempted to try to make this life into heaven. But be prepared for suffering. Be prepared for things not always to go our way. When suffering comes, as it most certainly will, have hope and endure with patience, trusting in Jesus and resting in his promises. Rest in promises like the one he gives us in John 14, 3, when he says, And I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we there are many days in our lives where we long for that day that we will be with you. We long to be in that place that you are preparing for us. But Father, give us the patience, give us the peace, give us the endurance to, to make it to the finish line, to, to run the race, to fight the good fight. Lord, we know we can't do it on our own. Give us, give us help. We ask all this in your Son's perfect holy name. Amen.